0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. It Basically almost took place simultaneously, and uh, that was what seemed to be the resurrection of those who had been beheaded for the witness of Jesus and the word of God. They were spoken of. He said, I saw the souls of them. And then he said that they lived, which was the same word that John used in the gospel of John to denote uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we had that. We had Satan being bound, an angel coming with a great chain, casting him into the bottomless pit and him being bound. And all of that spun off into uh, what's known as the millennial reign or a thousand year time period uh, was to begin and what we gather from the book of Revelation concerning this millennial reign what Revelation kind of focuses on particularly in chapter 20 several times it mentions the whole concept and idea of this one thousand year time period and so it focuses on that concerning the millennial reign that's the bit of information that it gives us concerning the millennial reign it'll be a thousand year time period and also knowing that uh, Satan will be bound at the beginning of that for the duration of that reign we also know, know then the world at that time will be void of the influence of Satan and that there will be certain groups according to the word of God there will be certain groups that will be reigning with Christ uh, during that time and so we know it's going to be a thousand years according to Revelation but any other details concerning the millennial reign of Christ you got to go back to Uh, the prophets such as Isaiah and Jeremiah and such. you got to go back to the prophets, some of which we highlighted last week and see uh, their writings to get other details concerning what will be happening or taking place during the millennial reign of time. And so Satan is bound. He's bound for a thousand years. He's unable, the Bible says, to deceive the nations for a thousand years. And yet during that time from other of the prophets of the Old Testament, we learned that during this time that there's still going to be people that's going to be born during that time frame and it would seem that life expectancy is going to increase much like it once had been uh, prior to the days of the flood so life expectancy is going to increase there's going to be a lengthening of years uh, similar like there was too many ago they said a person person dying at 100 years old would be a young age and uh, I know some of you that not even at 100 yet and you say you don't feel young uh, so we're talking about it's going to be different. It's going to be different uh, than what it is right now during that time period. And so with that, after the earth has went through uh, much uh, of tribulation and woe and a loss of people, for that matter, it will almost be like a repopulating of the earth. And you can imagine this happening that if people are being born and they're living longer, then the numbers can increase easier Unlike today, if people dying off at seventy five you know they, you know and such there, there will not be that rollover of humanity. People will be existing upon the earth for a longer time period, so the repopulating of the earth uh, is quite a possibility after the earth has suffered uh, much loss and so those that are being born, if you will at that time is going to be different than what it has been for us in our time period, and that is born into a world of a void of satanic influence. Satan's being bound during that time frame. So, could you imagine being born during a time where Satan is bound? And that's kind of like what they will be experiencing. And some some people would say, "Well, that would be a world of bliss, man. That would be great to be in a world where where Satan is bound." And I guess to to a certain degree, that would be somewhat of a bliss. However, just because the world is void of Satan does not mean it is void of sin. Which is a little bit of what I ended with last week. Just because it's void of Satan does not mean it'll be void of sin. Because a world without Satan doesn't necessarily equal a world without sin. Uh, Satan isn't necessarily the originator of sin. You don't need Satan in order to sin. All you need to sin is your flesh. Amen. This old humanity that we're still in. The Bible says in Romans chapter number 7 and verse 18, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Rome and he's speaking of the war that he has going on in his members. And he says, for I know that in me, he specifies parenthetically that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not the apostle Paul of all things says I still have this problem that's in my flesh that I contend with within this old man Romans 8 and 3 declares Paul also writing he says for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh God sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin where? in the flesh so although the world at that time frame will be void of Satan there's still going to be a lot of humanity in the world and therefore sin in that flesh sin in that humanity from Adam on every individual that's born is born after the Adamic nature which means there is the sin factor that's in their life that's the reason why we need a savior that's the reason why we need Jesus Christ and the atonement of his blood because we're born into an imperfect world, and we're born into this world imperfect. For that matter, as Paul's writing to the Romans, in Romans, the first few eight chapters of Romans, there's the focuses of Romans that's, that's, that's monitored. There are two concepts, basically, that are being looked at in the book of Romans, the first eight chapters, so forth. And that is the concept of sins, which are our actions, our actions that are sinful, sins with a plural, an S on the end, and the principle or the idea of sin. Sin that is something, a nature that's a principle, that's a part of our fleshly selves. You could almost really subdivide the first eight chapters of Romans into two divisions because one focuses more on the sins or the actions of the people, and another one uh, focuses on the principle of sin that is in the flesh. Sins, plural, sin, singular, both vitally uh, important to be dealt with in our life. Sins that I have committed have to be dealt with and I need forgiveness for my sins, all right? But there is also that principle uh, that's at work in me, a nature, if you will, a nature of sin that I need deliverance from. I need forgiveness for my sins but I need deliverance from this nature that's within me called sin. So what that means is this. You can change my environment, change my surroundings, add or subtract uh, the foes, add Satan to it or subtract Satan from it, but the real problem lies within me. Amen. Jesus responded to his disciples in Matthew 15 and he told them, he said it wasn't what man put into his body that defiled man. But it was what man already had in him that came from his heart. He said adulteries and fornications and and murders and false witnesses and thefts. All these things come from within man, from his heart. All these that come within. It's not what man puts in his body, but there's a heart issue. There's a nature issue that man contends with. And so the ever popular statement that you and I may have both have heard, maybe you used it a time or two. I don't know. had a weak moment. The devil made me do it. Well, he may have created an environment and an episode and a surrounding that may have prompted for you to pay attention to the sin that's already in your flesh, uh, to set up a scenario to make it more alluring or tempting to follow through with something that may be already there as a nature in your flesh, but uh, the devil making you do it and just forcing you and saying, that isn't necessarily so. Uh, whenever satan during the millennial reign is to be bound for a thousand years whenever that takes place what they'll do is basically remove one that kind of sets up the scenario the environment the prompting if you will but it will not remove the reality of sin that's in humanity or the nature of sin that's in humanity there's only one that can take care of that amen i'm glad i know what his name is don't you I mean, there's only one that can take care of that. And so, during the millennial reign, sinners are still going to produce sinners. Or may I say it like this? We're all born to sin, so is still going to produce flawed humanity. Amen. And it only makes sense. Only fallen people can produce fallen people. Amen. And the problem is a, a flesh problem, a nature of sin problem, not a condition or a surrounding or an environment problem. Amen. Uh, in, in, in the most moral culture even of the world, Rain, probably one of the most moral cultural cultures of the time of the earth. Amen. Aside from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, men will still have a propensity to sin. Amen. They're still going to have a propensity to sin. And so in order to test the fact that a pure environment alone cannot, cannot change man. The Lord is going to allow at the end of the thousand years for Satan to be loose, the Bible says. For a short period of time, he's going to, where he was unable to deceive the nations, he's going to go back to deceiving the nations, all right? Because the Lord has something to prove. One thing is this, God is not interested in anybody serving him like we're puppets on a string, like we're without choice. Is a gentleman. He's not making anybody serve him. If you serve him, you do so because you made a choice to serve him. You made a choice to allow the Lord into your life and, and be the king of glory and the master of your, your life. He's, he's never wanted a group of people to be puppets on a string that he's forcing to do this. Whenever he created Adam and Eve in the beginning, uh, they weren't puppets on a string. They were in the garden in the beginning. Amen. And he didn't stoop to the level to make them puppets on a string. Amen. And if here's the thing, if he is going to have anyone with him that's going to be in the new heaven and in the new earth, it'll be because they voluntarily chose him. They voluntarily wanted to be a part of his family and they chose to love him. And he no doubt already reciprocates that love to us. But Satan is loose just for a short time at the end of the millennial reign. It's very similar, very similar to the very beginning because... Here is the great garden, perfect paradise as it is. All the trees of the garden they may partake of and eat of except one tree in the midst of the garden. The tree of knowledge of good and evil is placed there. And what does that provide then for the first man and the first woman? That provides a choice for them. A choice to eat of every tree and abstain from the one that God said abstain from or to transgress and cross over and choose the tree that the Lord said, hey, it's not my desire that you would eat of that tree. So from the very beginning, mankind, not puppets, God provided them with a choice, with a choice. And so by having one tree there and asking not to eat of it, he gave them a choice to to do what? since God didn't want to eat, eat that, didn't want them to eat that, he gave them a choice to love him and abstain, abstain from that one tree to desire what God desired or to refrain from what he refrained from. He gave man a choice. And so in the end of time, way ahead of us, maybe not as far ahead as we think maybe sometimes, but the millennial reign at the end of that thousand years, Satan's going to be loosed. And what's happening here is really this. They're living in a real, real moral world, but here is now the enemy that's providing the choice once again before them. And he's going to deceive the nations according to Revelation chapter number 20. He's going to gather them together from the four quarters or the four directions, if you will, of the earth. Gather them together for battle. Here is once again what would seem like another battle he listed in chapter number 20. And the Bible says that the number is basically going to be so massive, the best description that it can give those that gather from the four places of the earth is that they will be as the sand of the sea, and we, we see this terminology before when the Lord promised to Abraham concerning his descendants, the stars of the sky, the sands of the sea, which basically means it's just numerous, almost just almost too many to number. It's going to be a lot of people, going to be a lot of people that's going to be gathering together at this time frame for war, and the Bible says in Revelation 20 that they'll compass the camp. Of the saints. They speak of the beloved city, which more than likely refers to uh, that great holy city of Jerusalem. But whenever the nations from the four corners or four quarters of the earth are gathered together, uh, there is this little phraseology in there in verse number eight, uh, which are in the four corners, four quarters of the earth, comma, Gog and Magog, comma, to gather them together to battle the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Gog and Magog there, set off by commas. Amen. As a result of this, and again, we, we, I can't overemphasize this when, when sometimes we hit certain matters in the book of Revelation that now we see through a glass darkly. Uh, there is only... Uh, a certain amount of information that Scripture gives us and only so much we can say about certain things because of the information we have. And because we look through a glass darkly, the Bible spoke, the Old Testament prophets, they prophesied in part. So we'll understand things better by and by. So uh, I, I don't have the authority to speak upon something that the Scripture doesn't speak upon. Again, I can give you possibilities of how things line up with the Word of God, but to be dogmatic, I can't put my foot down and my thumb down and say, well, this is it and so although some people desire that and some people do that. I try to refrain from that, amen, uh, by all means. But with that being said, people take this Gog and Magog and the idea that there's gathering together for another battle and they begin to surmise about whether or not this battle is the battle spoken of for you Bible readers in Ezekiel 38 and 39 because in Ezekiel 38 and 39 there seems to be a battle and this concept and idea of Gog and Magog is is brought up and so you're saying well then brother McGee is it? is this Gog and Magog and Revelation is it the same battle of Ezekiel 38 and 39 and I'm going to give you the most liberating words that a pastor has in his vernacular I do not know amen at this stage of my understanding of prophecy and last things I do not know now some argue that they are not the same battles Because the invasion in Ezekiel comes from the north, the scripture says and the one here in Revelation they are gathered from the four quarters of the earth, from all over the earth and so there's others that argue because in Ezekiel the Bible says after that battle that they'll spend uh, seven months for burying the dead and seven years for burning the artillery and the instrumentation in which they fought with but in Revelation it seems after this happens that there is a very quick quick transition and fire comes down and it consumes the people and it's not very long until we have a new heaven and new earth Now, however much time elapses in that I do not know so they argue well there wouldn't be enough time uh, for uh, seven years of burning or seven months of burying and, and so I understand all that and, and I'm just throwing this out here just for you to think not necessarily to come at a, a, a absolute resolve and answer but historically concerning the argument of Well, the other came from the north, and in Revelation, it's from the four quarters of the earth. Historically, anyone normally who made an attempt to conquer or come against Israel most naturally always came from the north. Didn't matter where they were in the world, they usually came down from the north because it was from the heights, and they took the height as an advantage to come down upon the nation of Israel. So whenever they did war... Normally, if they were from west or south, they would make their way and come through the north. So I don't know if necessarily that's a good argument. Well, it says that from the four quarters. Well, they could have come from the four quarters and still came northward. So I'm just throwing that out there to confuse you. Now, I just want you to think. I just want you to think. Don't just take anything at just face value whenever you hear it on your, you know, whoever you listen to concerning prophecy. Beware. Amen. Beware. Amen. Uh, but nevertheless, so they, they, they come down, you know, from all places, usually down through the north. But also, just as a note, in Ezekiel 38, and this is just for your reference, speaking of those in that, that chapter that came down from the north. Whenever you start reading it, it speaks of those that came against them. Gog, Magog, Meshech, Tubal, people. Verse 5, Persia, Ethiopia, Libya. You're getting some locations here if you were to look at, at Bible maps. Number 6, verse 6, Gomer... Togarmah, 13, Sheba, Dedan, and Tarshish. These are different locations. So if you look at that and consider the north, you're going to see that they may have done just that. But again, I don't have a firm platform to stand on just to make you consider and think. Are they the same? I do not know. It seems as though uh, in Ezekiel 38, they're from various places. And also in Revelation, they're from various places. Same or different, I don't know. I've not learned enough in order to cast a solid verdict, and I may never, amen, have learned enough in order to cast a a solid verdict. However, I will share with you, in Ezekiel 38 and 39, whenever it makes reference to Gog, Gog is a reference to a person. Gog is a person. Whenever you have the reference to Magog, Magog is a region or the people of a region. Therefore, Revelation may simply be telling us, talking about these people from the four quarters of the earth, that the nations of the world, Satan is is beckoning them and deceiving them, coming to this battle, including Gog, or if you will, if we could, rulers and Magog, the regions of those different places and the people of those different places. So the rulers and the people under those rulers, okay? But after this long stint of time... The absence of the influence of the adversary for a thousand years, he reappears, and humanity, look at this, after a thousand years, void of Satan. Humanity, look at it now, because they're gathering from all these places all over the earth. Humanity is still prone to rebel against their creator after having a thousand years of no influence of Satan. And so the question is, what can be done with humanity? I mean, we've come to the plate before even with the flood. Man, he's wicked. His heart is continually evil. Destroy the world and the people that are in it except for Noah and his family with a flood. Then we read after the flood, you know what? Man's heart, it's evil. It's continually wicked. So we got a dilemma on our hands. Christ, of course, answered the dilemma, amen, with with salvation through his name. But here we are again at the end of time. People have been void of an adversary, and here they are still prone to rebel against their creator, the one that has formed them and fashioned them. So what can be done? I mean, is it going to have to be something similar to the days of Noah? Well, to a certain degree, yes. Uh, The the wicked human race will, will be destroyed this time, not by water, as the Lord promises in Genesis 8 and 9, but now this time it will come by fire. The Bible states in Genesis 9 and verse 11 whenever the Lord was speaking unto Noah, Noah said I will establish my covenant with you neither shall all the flesh be cut off anymore by the waters of a flood neither shall there be any more be a flood to destroy the earth. He kept his promise. He has kept his different parts of the world may have been flooded but the whole earth has never been flooded again since that day and that is not the action he'll take in this day. He purified it with water, now he's going to purify it with fire. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse number 7, uh, Peter speaks forth and says, But the heavens and the earth which, which are now by the same word are kept in store for what? Reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And we read in Scripture... That there will be in verse number nine a fire that will come down from God out of heaven and will devour them. Amen. It will consume those that are against God, those that have centered themselves around the beloved city Jerusalem. It will, it will, it will devour them, those that have come against the Bible says the saints can pass the camp of the saints about, it will devour them. And after that takes place, he is wrapping things up because he takes Satan who has was bound, now loose for a short time. Now he takes that adversary and he throws him into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet have already been thrown some thousand years prior, already been thrown. The Bible says where the beast and false prophet are, which we looked at already, but still yet, Satan's thrown into the lake of fire where the beast and false prophet are and that happened years, thousand, uh, over a thousand years before this time which tells me and us that this lake of fire is not an annihilation. You're going to go there and you're going to burn up and everything's going to be said and over and whoop. No. The beast and false prophet are still there that was a thousand years earlier thrown there and it's the smoke that goeth up forever and ever. There is an eternal torment that we want to shun. Absolutely, folks. That is real. Amen. That I don't want to take no part of. Don't buy into the idea. Well, it'll just be a, for a moment, and it'll be done. No, it's going to burn forever and ever. Amen. And so, please don't, don't, don't get taken by the idea. Because some people think, well, it won't be that bad. It'll just be. It'll be so hot just a moment. No, there's going to be agony. There's going to. going to be torment. It's where the worm die if not, and the fire is not quenched. Amen. And so, and the devil really has been on a downward spiral, a downward spiral from the beginning. I mean, he starts as a Lucifer, an archangel in heaven. He's cast out of heaven, but we know he still has access here and there because in Job we read whenever the angels came together and the sons of God came together, Satan also came among them. All right, we we read of some of those type things, but he's cast out of heaven and we understand him then to reign as the peace, the prince rather and the power of the air according to Ephesians. So he has access to the prince and power of the air but then in Revelation 12, we find then that there comes a place that he has no place in heaven or heavens, including the air, and he's cast down to the earth. So it's kind of like heaven, prince and power of the air, he's on a downward spiral, confined to the earth. And that's whenever he lets all these spirits out of the, the abode in the bottomless pit and they're having all this rampage here and there but now he's bound for a thousand years downward spiral at the end of a thousand years boom lake of fire he's been on a constant descent from the day that he tried to exalt himself above the most high and be like the most high he's been going down now it might be several years in between times but he's been going down 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 amen and to a lake of fire which was prepared for him and his angels Never for people. Never God's intent that there would be anyone found among there. those scripture bearers out there will be. That wasn't what it was prepared for. Prepared for the devil and his angels. Revelation 20, Sister McGee, and let me read the rest of the chapter starting with verse 11. The Bible says, and I saw a great white throne. and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire and this is the second death and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire amen and so we're, we're, we're really kind of at this moment here amen that's coming down to the great white throne judgment amen that corresponds also with the second resurrection the resurrection as it would seem of the dead small and great are standing before the white throne judgment of God. So not only does the fire seemingly destroy the people, but evidently the place. For verse 11 tells us that even the earth and heaven fled away from the face of of the one who's on the great white throne. And it says that there was found no place for them. There was found no place. There was no habitation for them because heaven and earth has fled away. They're past. Away. There is no place for anyone to hide. As we've seen in Revelation before, people sought hiding in caves, and didn't. there is no place for anybody to hide at this moment. Because there were times during uh, the tribulation that he even looked to the rocks of the mountains and to try to hide from the wrath of God. But at this stage, no dens, no rocks and mountains to hide in. Every hiding place has been removed. There is no place for them. And so. Uh, this is just kind of a little side note here, but it's really going to be bad news for every Save the Earth activist. <laughs> I hate to tell you. Uh, because just wait and see what God does with the earth. <laughs> and we're protecting the ozone, we're you know, hugging trees and everything else, and I guess that's all uh, proper and fine, but in the end of time, honey, she's going gone. <laughs> it's going it's to be over for the earth that we now know. And the interesting thing is this, is that scientists say that matter can neither be created nor destroyed. That's what science says, that's the law of science, it can't be created nor destroyed, but God has and will do both. Mm-hmm. Amen, he has and will do both. Amen, there will be no place for them. The Bible says in Psalms 102 and verse 25, <clears throat> of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, David says, unto the great creator And the heavens are the work of thy hands. And just look at the first phrase of verse 26. I won't read it all. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. He says, you created all this, you did it of old. He said, but they're going to perish. They're going to perish by the same hands they were created by. But who's going to endure? Mm -hmm. Our Lord and Savior is still going to endure. Uh, Bishop Emil Walls from Midori, he stated this in a book that he had written concerning Revelation. He said, none shall escape judgment, He said, all will be judged. The judgment of the church at the Lord's coming, the judgment of the tribulation saints at His coming to the earth, and the judgment of all the dead at the great white throne. Remember, I'll try not to hash and rehash a bunch, okay. But the great white throne judgment correlates with uh, the second resurrection, which concerns, according to the Scripture, the dead. If you look at verse 11... It says, John says in his vision, I saw the dead. He even says, and the dead were judged. In verse 13, he says, the seed gave up her dead. And that death and hell delivered up the dead. If we go back to verse number 5 of last week of Revelation 20, it spoke of, those that had been beheaded for Christ's sake and for the witness of Jesus, the Word of God, which was speaking of those who were martyrs that didn't take the mark or his name or the name of his mark, uh, tribulation saints, if you will, that they had resurrected a part of the first resurrection, Christ being the firstborn of the resurrection. Uh, those that resurrected whenever uh, he uh, resurrected, remember the graves were open when he died, and they came up and were resurrected when he resurrected, being a part of the first resurrection. The saints. That when the trump of God sounds, the dead in Christ shall rise, being a part of that first resurrection. Tribulation, saints, after the tribulation, still being part of the first resurrection, according to Revelation 20 and verse 5 and 6. All of that is first resurrection. But from there, a thousand years later, we have a resurrection of the dead then, and it is the second resurrection, and it seems to be, it seems to be, that it is the resurrection of the wicked. All prior to the millennial, it seems the righteous dead are resurrected. After the millennial, it seems to be the, the, the wicked dead that are resurrected. If there was anybody that, that, that came through the millennium and they were righteous, we don't have record of in Scripture. It doesn't tell us, okay? It doesn't tell us. So it seems as though it is just the wicked dead that are resurrected at the end. <clears throat> pastor Woodward, UPC, pastor up in Canada, He states this, he speaks, there are four distinct judgments. He says there's the judgment of the church, for reference, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 10 through 11. He says the judgment of the church happening at rapture, if you will, and before the marriage supper of the Lamb. He says no one be lost at this judgment. It's the dead in Christ that shall Rise and they are judged at the judgment seat of Christ spoken of in the New Testament Scripture. He said, number two, there's the judgment of individual Gentiles, and he makes note of Matthew 25 as a reference, occurring again after the tribulation, yet before that millennial reign of Christ looking at the time frame of the dividing of the sheep from the goats and the righteous that come from that inner on ten to the millennial reign and live and are probably some of those that are propagating uh, procreation, if you will, during that time. Third judgment being the judgment of Israel. Remember the nation of Israel. A lot of her judgment, amen, occurs, amen, through the tribulation because tribulation for a good part, as you heard me say before, is for Israel. A lot of that's for Israel to get her to get her back in alignment with her creator and the one who has set them aside as a precious and holy nation. Amen. But then there's also the judgment of the wicked, which we're talking about right now at the end of the millennium, at the end of those thousand years. Amen. Which seems to be a judgment of the wicked. Again, if there are any righteous that die between the first resurrection and the second resurrection, amen, we have no record of it seemingly in scripture so I can only tell you what I know from God's word I know for some people that really bugs you but have faith in God and get over it no I'm joking I'm just saying welcome to the club you know uh, you will be alright we'll be alright we'll right. amen but nevertheless when we look at verses number 12 and number 13 notice the scripture it uses terminology speaking of these dead, that they will be judged according to their works. They will be judged according to their works. Amen. And it seems like this, just like that there seems to be a variation of rewards for the righteous, because whether your work be wood, stubble, or gold, you know, whether it be tried to fire, you, know, you may loosen things by fire, but your soul is still saved. Remember that in Corinthians? We spoke about that one time. It seems as though those who knew more concerning the second resurrection, the resurrection, if you will, of the wicked dead, those who knew more and failed to respond will bear greater guilt than those who knew less. In other words, like there will be degrees of punishment that would be more severe for people who knew more but didn't adhere to, respond to the more they knew than those who knew less. And for just an idea to wrap our minds around this concept, scripture. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 23 Jesus speaking to some places that he had been and he says and thou Capernaum which art exalted unto heaven shalt be brought down to hell for if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom it would have remained to this day but I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee meaning what i did mighty works in capernaum they were exposed to some things that the the land of the land of uh, of sodom was not they're going to be held to a higher regard because of what they had opportunity to experience or what i said rather even than sodom in the day of judgment because why they knew more you understand they knew more. And so there seems to be that. I don't know, you know, you know a third degree, you know, third degree you're like a fire person, one. wonder, I don't know all that. But it seems like punishment is going to be comparable to how much you knew or, or rejecting how much you knew. I know you know, we are to a great degree held responsible for what we know. That's the reason why New Testament Christian almost says well, if one person who has forsaken this way, kind of been better for them to have never known. Why? Because they're going to be held responsible for what they have learned. Amen. For what they have learned. So it appears that, that, that we, we look at verse number 12 and it speaks of books and book, another book and other book. We get lost among the books. <laughs> Amen. That are going to be there. Uh, at, at the great white throne judgment. And, and, and again, I've not been there, so I can't tell you for sure, but I can give you maybe some possibilities. One thing that I believe, according to God's word, that will be there as a book is the word of God. The word of God. John 12:48 tells us, Jesus spoke and he said, He that rejecteth me, receiveth not my words, hath one that judgeth him. The word which I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day so the word of God or the words of God is going to stand as a judgment for us and I know we say this all the time but what we got here folks is an open book test the same 66 books that are here to help us live our lives are the same 66 books that's going to be in part and parcel there to judge our lives Amen, and especially you know, as time would go on. So it's important to live by the word of the Lord. But for the wicked dead, yes, it's going to be the word of God. Why? If anybody had had drawn close to this and they had been exposed to the word, here's the big thing, folks: if, if the wicked dead, part of the wicked dead, has been exposed to this word, maybe they were a reader of the word. They're going to be held accountable for what they knew. Amen. Another thing could be that the Bible says it speaks of according to their Works and this kind of goes back to that degree of punishment idea in Matthew 11 um, because he had done mighty works among them, and according to the mighty works that he had done and their exposure to that, then degrees of punishment. But also, undoubtedly, something that is spoken of through God's word is a lamb's book of life. We, we talk about the lamb's book of life in Philippians 4 and 3, the Bible says, And I entreat thee also, true yoke, yoke fellow. Help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Revelations 21 and verse number 27 says, And there shall be in no wise enter into it anything that defileth. It's speaking of heaven. And neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. People come at the Lamb's Book of Life, two different scenarios. They say, everybody's name is written in there as time goes on, they're blotted out. Or that it's a blank book and then the names are put in there. Which is, I don't know. Just whenever it's all said and done, let my name be there. Amen. Whether it's blotted out or whether it's put in, just, you know what I'm saying, if it's put in or if it's there to begin with and not blotted, just let my name be there. And so these are some of the things that may be books that the wicked dead are judged by to help determine uh, at one state a degree of reward for the righteous but for the other a degree of punishment for those in the second resurrection amen and also can I say tonight that I believe these things are vital to us not slipping from grace when we're talking about judged by our works because I do believe as scripture says that salvation is by grace however When we claim to have salvation of grace and it doesn't eventually change our works, then we must have fallen from grace. Because Christianity in time must change the way we live our lives as we mature. What I mean by that is in Titus chapter number 2 and verse number 11, the Bible states these words, for the, everybody say grace, for the grace of God that." Bring us salvation, hath appeared to all men, teaching, what's teaching? The grace of God is teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present evil world. And so I believe then salvation is by grace. But grace doesn't just save me, grace teaches me. Grace teaches me how to live, how to mature, amen, in the things of the Lord, to live righteously and soberly in God for tomorrow or, or, or in a world to come. No, in this present world that we're even living in right now, amen. And so chapter 20 kind of ends on a little bit of a sour note, I guess, if you want to call it that, it's Gordon who you are because the very place again prepared for the devil and his angels will now hold people and that is I can't tell you how that must grieve the heart of God Amen. that people would go to a place that was prepared for the devil and his angels because God put them there no because they positioned themselves to go there themselves Uh, the statement has always been said God doesn't send anybody to hell he don't but he has criteria and whenever we fall short of that criteria we weep We make our own bed so to speak and we lie in it but it don't have to be that way Uh, we do have an option out, we do have a savior, we do have the blood, we do have a death barrel and resurrection that we can have applied to our life and experience and such and it does not have to be that way, amen and so scripture records the truth, the beast has been destroyed the false prophet has been destroyed, the devil has been destroyed has been put in the lake of fire, all those people who were posed, if you will, as enemies of God because they never accepted Christ or they never acted upon the information that was given to them, all of that is true. Amen. And so it's true then what the Scripture said, the Apostle said, and I'm closing, that the Apostle said in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, because the Bible says here in the end of chapter 20 that he takes death and he takes hell And he throws them into the lake of fire. And the Bible says the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Beast has been taken care of, false prophet, the devil, and now he takes death and hell and he puts them into the lake of fire. The last enemy that was destroyed, that will be destroyed, I guess I should say, ultimately will be death. Amen? Can you stand with me? Everybody go, shh. Wow. We made it. Folks, we only have a couple more chapters in the book of Revelation. Surprise, surprise. Next week will be lesson 33. <laughs> if anybody's counting, we'll be 33. I'll say at most we got four weeks left, four weeks or less uh, in the book of Revelation. I'm shooting for less, but we'll just be safe. Amen. And say four weeks or less. Amen. Please remember Sunday morning, Sunday night. Remember, Brother Mason's going to be here continuing with what he started last Sunday morning. And then Sunday night. uh Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you